found a new welcome sign for my front door. Oh, let me see. Um, I will. Okay, hang on. Let me go grab it. Okay, you're gonna laugh. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if you'll be able to see it with it being blurred like that. Okay, okay. So it says welcome, and then it says to our home. <laughs> this is why I bought it. Go away. Go away. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Welcome to Tits and Awesome Stories. I'm Curvy. And I'm Liza. And thank you for joining us today. We are doing this a little bit different. Um, if you haven't noticed, we are in separate places today. Um, my, my mother went to uh, Florida, so she's not here to watch my children as much for me. And if my fiance has to work, then this is just easier for us to do. So enjoy our new little setup for the day. Yes, this is something that, you know, we will incorporate from time to time. As uh, Liza said that, you know, she is without a babysitter at the moment. So not that the children aren't allowed, you know, to do their own thing here because we normally record here it's just um that they would be running in and out of the camera is what we would be dealing with so yeah but yeah yes, my youngest we... definitely would do that oh yeah definitely i can see him just running up to you and throwing the tablet at you like, make it work <laughs> mom make it work exactly so on today's episode, we're going to do a true crime episode because it's been about a month or a month and a half since our last one. So we thought we would give you guys a little gruesome story here. So I originally wanted to do a different story and um, I had looked for the story and I couldn't find it. So I'm going to save it for a different one. So this story is actually going to take place in Australia. And I'm going to be reading an article about the story that gives some more information on it. And this is an article that was actually written by the Daily Mail. So um, they've got some pretty good stuff, stuff in this article. So <clears throat> the headline for this story is kind of a doozy. It's inside the twisted mind of Australia's worst female killer who skinned and decapitated her lover before cooking his head in a pot of veggies and trying to serve it to his children. Oh. Oh. So, <laughs> yes. So our murderer here is somebody named Catherine Knight. Catherine Knight murdered her partner, John Price, in North Southwest Hunter Valley in 2000. She expertly skinned his body and severed his head, which she cooked in a pot. Knight served up Price's cooked body parts at places set for his three children. She pleaded guilty to murdering Price and will serve the rest of her life in jail. Forensic toxicologist Dr. William J. Allender has written about Knight's case. So this is an extremely graphic case. There is a trigger warning on this. If you cannot sit around for this and listen to it, that's perfectly fine. Now's your chance to dip out, especially since you have an idea of what this story is going to be about. A few moments later. So with that being said, uh, you want me to just go ahead and get into it? Yeah. Okay. So Catherine Knight has gone down in the annals of Australian criminal history as the nation's worst female killer and the first and only woman to be locked up for life in prison. That's quite the achievement to earn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think there's... <laughs> There's not nearly as much crime, I think, that goes on in Australia versus, like, the U.S. 
Oh, the U.S. is has so much more crime than most other countries. It's pretty bad. Yeah, my friend that actually lives in Australia made a post on Facebook about how tomatoes were like $10 and something. Yeah, it's crazy over there. Like, the difference between, like, our prices and their prices are insane. But they also pay more over there. Their minimum wage is higher and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they have government-applied benefits and everything. So it's a, it's a little different, you know. They care yeah. about their people more than we do, so... Uh, yeah. So her infamy comes from decapitating her partner after stabbing him to death and skinning his corpse, then cooking his head in a pot with vegetables. Having hung her partner's skin on a meat hook, Knight served up parts of his body with baked potatoes and gravy on plates set at the dinner table for each of his three children. It has been speculated Knight, a one-time boner at a slaughterhouse, tried but failed to eat a cooked section of her boyfriend's left buttocks that was later found on the back lawn. Ew. So she couldn't eat it, but she was going to serve it to the kids. Yeah. Now, were yeah, they exactly. her children too, or were they just his? Um, I'm not sure. We're going to find out here, I believe. Okay. Knight's appalling crimes have been revisited in a new book by forensic medical scientist Dr. William J. Allender called The Expert Witness, A Second Dose. The book covers 30 cases involving drugs and poisons that Dr. Allender has encountered or helped solve in his long career as a toxicologist. Daily Mail Australia has obtained an exclusive extract of the expert witness in which Dr. Allender recounts his involvement in Knight's prosecution. Dr. Allender was called upon to conduct tests on Knight's blood after she was arrested in February of 2000 in a Stoopfield estate, having murdered her partner, John Price. He found Knight had taken a large quantity of the antidepressant fluvoxamine and a smaller amount of the antihistamine, promethazine. Both drugs can cause dizziness and drowsiness. And when you take like an um, antihistamine on top of your like other downers, your depression medicine and stuff like that, mm -hmm. it can really like a lot of the times it can not be a good combination as you know, you can hear here in this article. <laughs> yeah, it's like double dosing yourself. Yeah, like that. I know that when I take, because I take antidepressant, I take anti-anxiety medicine, and I also take one for my bipolar disorder. And all three of them have a sedative effect to it, so it already makes me tired. But if I'm sick and I take like Benadryl or NyQuil on top of it, I do not move the entire night. I am completely gone. Oh, yeah. So I can only imagine. So... After he found that out, um, he declared neither drug was in the toxic range, and a judge later relied on his evidence to rule Knight had not attempted to commit suicide. So apparently they were seeing it as, you know, this was her trying to commit suicide, which it doesn't sound like she took anywhere near enough for something like that. Yeah. So she was deemed sane and pleaded guilty to Price's murder. In November 2001, Justin Barry O'Keefe of the North-Southwest Supreme Court sentenced her to life. The prisoner, Catherine Mary Knight, does not qualify for mercy, Justice O'Keefe said. She engaged in cruel, vicious behavior to Mr. Price. She showed him no mercy. 
She was not, she has not expressed any contrition or remorse. If released, she poses a serious threat to the security of society. And, you know, we know that's true because how many times has there been a horrible crime where they've let the person go on good behavior and things like that just for them to get out and repeat the same, mm. the same atrocity? Most of the time they are repeat offenders, so... Yeah, they really are. I mean, I watch so much true. It's one of the main things that I watch is true crime. And countless times, like time and time again, that's what you see. They let so-and-so out. They knew that they had murdered somebody. They knew that they were a serial rapist, you know, whatever it was. And sure enough, they get out and they go right back to it. It's like it's just programmed into their brain. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I'm satisfied beyond any doubt that such a murder was premeditated. I'm further satisfied in the same way that not only did she plan the murder, but she also enjoyed the horrific acts which followed in its wake as part of a ritual of death and defilement. Knight and Price had lived at Arber Aberdeen, a small township on a hillside in the New South Wales Hunter Valley between Muswell Brook and Scone, about 270 kilometers north of Sydney. Um, so... It says in the article in SW, I assume that meant North Southwest, but apparently it st stands for New South Wales. So I apologize about that. Um, my geography, as far as Australia goes, I, I really don't know much about the land other than it exists. So I apologize. <laughs> it's there. It's, it's the typical American way. So, <laughs> hell, I don't know North South east and west very well either i always get that shit mixed up yeah but i always end up messing up like east and yeah, yeah i used I to always. do that a lot too i used to do it a lot too so if we ever get lost in the woods you're not the one to guide us out is what you're saying oh we're fucked if we get lost in the woods because <laughs> there ain't no way i can help us get out of there at all well i believe it's moth grows on the north side of trees Sound like you said moth instead of moths. <laughs> it's like moth. <laughs> Moths grow on trees. They grow on trees. That's so confused. So, like many in the town, including some of her lovers, Knight had worked at the local abattoir. For those of you that don't know what that is, I did look it up because I was sitting there like, "What? What is that?" It's a slaughterhouse. One of those abattoir workers was David Kellett, who Knight married when she was just 18 and tried to strangle after he could not satisfy her insatiable lusts on their wedding night. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with this woman? It's not enough dick. <laughs> Clearly. If I, if I strangle anyone that's never satisfied me during sex, there'd be a lot of dead people. I know, you'd be a black widow. You'd be leaving a trail of bodies everywhere you went. I don't know what happened to them, officer. A same. I, I'd be leaving a trail everywhere it went. Like, I mean, stand in line. How many of us, you know, are, are, are disappointed in the bedroom, you know, sometimes? I mean, good yeah. lord. It's so one way to deal with them, I guess. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. I mean, this is true. You don't have to worry about them continuing to call you for a booty call. <laughs> I mean, I, I usually go with blocking people, but I guess that's another way to get your point across. <laughs> I can they just, will never unsatisfy anyone else ever again. Exactly. I can just see how that conversation goes. You know, you get done and they're like, oh, I'll call you in the morning. And <laughs> she's like, bitch, you ain't calling anybody. Come here, let's just end this. 
<laughs> so two years later after the wedding, the couple had a daughter, but Kellett was unable to handle his wife's mood swings and ran off to Queensland with another Aberdeen woman. A devastated knight left her newborn daughter in the middle of a railway track to be killed, but a pensioner who lived nearby rescued the baby when he heard her cries. Why was she not, like, thrown in jail after this? Uh, I, it makes me wonder how their their justice system is set up. I'm because, not sure. I mean, for us, it would be considered child endangerment, so I'm not sure how how their laws line up to ours. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it would be probably child endangerment, child, possibly child neglect, um, a whole bunch of stuff. I could see that. And then not to mention, you know, she stabbed him. Oh, she tried to strangle him. Excuse me. She didn't stab him. I apologize. You know, she tried to strangle somebody. So clearly she's got some issues going on there. Yeah. Like, good Lord. My, my thing is, is how do they end up having a baby? Like, if she tried to strangle him the first that first night, I'd have been like, yeah, no, bitch, see you later. So, <laughs> either, either he stayed, it sounds like he stayed with her for a little bit because he couldn't handle her mood swings. Like, I couldn't live with somebody if I didn't know, you know, when they were going to want to strangle me. Like, what the hell? I don't think I would ever have sex with them again if they attempted no. to strangle me the first time. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So after that, she was subsequently admitted to St. Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth and diagnosed with postnatal depression and discharged. That's all that they did. I feel Next. like they should have done like some kind of psych evaluation on her that was more in-depth than that. I would they must worse. have. Oh God. Well, I mean, obviously it escalates because you know she chopped mm -hmm. her her boyfriend up, but um, apparently, after she was released, she slashed the face of a woman who had suggested her daughter was ill, then grabbed a boy she threatened to knife. After a stint in psychiatric hospital, a reunion with Kellett followed, and the couple moved to Woodridge in Queensland, where they had another daughter. He got back with her? He didn't learn his lesson the first time, apparently. Like, there... There is plenty of... So it makes me wonder if this is, like, the... The guy she ends up murdering. No, because his name... This guy's name is Kellett. This is before Price, who's the guy she murders. So she's working her way up to her murder here. So... Okay, go ahead. So she's... This is before Price, before she mm -hmm. got with him... She yeah. met this guy named David Kellett. That's the guy that she tried to strangle on their wedding night. He left her for another woman. And then once she got out of the um, the uh, hospital again, because she's going to get back in the hospital, or she was in the hospital, um, they got back together, which I but don't understand. I was just wondering if, like it said in there that she tried to feed him to his children so it made me wonder if like she doesn't have her children and it's just his children that oh i'm not has. sure i'm not like, sure like they We're... they got back together they had another kid and then like he took the kids when he left i mean if he was smart he would take the kids when he left but i would have took it the first time because obviously she didn't need the baby 
this guy sounds like he's just as crazy because apparently once they got back together, this relationship lasted four more years before Kellett took off for Alice Springs and Knight moved in with her parents at Aberdeen, then rented a house in Muswell Brook. Um, another relationship with local man David Saunders beckoned and he moved in with Knight and her two daughters. Knight's jealous rages soon emerged and she slit the throat of Saunders' dingo pup before bashing him unconscious with a frying pan. So, so she killed the animal and then she bashed the owner with... Oh, Jesus. Oh, uh, but apparently this guy decided to stick around too because they had a daughter together and bought a house which Knight decorated with the skins and skulls of livestock, steer horns, deer antlers, and stuffed animals. After Knight hit Saunders over the head with an iron and stabbed him with scissors, she took out... And, and she took out an apprehended violence order and he left for good, perhaps saving his life. So in her eyes, she was the violent one, I guess? I don't understand. Jeez. So Knight moved on with another former abattoir worker before her final fatal partnership with much-loved John Price, known around town as Pricey. Price would be the last victim of a vengeful and violent disposition that first became evident in Knight's childhood. But the thing that, that kills me with, with this story is, like, do these people, like, not realize that she's such a violent person before they start dating her? Like, I'm sure in that town, she dated several people from where she worked at, apparently. So you would think that word would have gotten around, like, she's a violent individual. Why would you want to date her? If it's a big enough, if it's a huge population, then I, you, you know, you may not see the same person. So they may have not even known each other and, you know, word may not necessarily get around. Um, yeah, I mean, this is before we use the internet for things like my case, because this was in the 2000s. Mm -hmm. when, yeah, so, I mean, this was way before any of that was available for you to, like, check background checks and things like that on people. Now we just my case your ass to see what you've been I know. <laughs> Which, if somebody my case my ass right now, I'm, I'm uh, being sued for yeah. uh, medical bills. So. Yeah. A lot of people are, don't feel I'm like. <laughs> this is great. You know, insurance is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. So there is a small excerpt from the book that was mentioned, The Expert Witness, A Second Dose, um, from toxicologist Dr. William J. Allender that I was talking about in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, so from the book, it says, Catherine was generally a pleasant girl and her red hair and freckles earned her the nickname of the speckled hen. Very much a loner with only a couple of friends. She spent a lot of time playing with her dolls. However, she loved animals or at least pretty much any creature that was injured. Sadly, she wasn't allowed to have any pets because her father kept greyhounds and was afraid they would be eaten by the dogs but undeterred, she still picked up injured strays, small birds, and so on, and took them home and nursed them back to health. Unfortunately, that good nature started to dissipate as she got older, when she also started to experience extraordinary rages over relatively minor upsets. 
She began to savor the smells of the meat industry and developed a yearning to work at the abattoir like her father. When she left Muswell Brook High School at the age of 15, supposedly almost illiterate, she landed a job as a cutter in a clothing factory. It wasn't exactly what she was looking for, and after a year, she left and got a position at the arbitoire cutting up offal. Off, off, she loved it, and her enthusiasm was eventually rewarded when she was promoted to boning and presented with her own set of butcher knives, which she proudly hung over her bed so that they would always be handy if needed them. She was said to have been as raunchy and heartless as any male worker and appeared to be quite proud of it. Hmm. In 1990, Catherine met up with John Chillo Chillingworth, a 43-year-old former abattoir co-worker at the local hotel. At the time, he was unaware of her violent moods, but his friends warned him and that she was bad news. Well, there you go. So apparently her friends are, yeah, the friends knew some about her and tried to warn this guy, but he didn't listen. Their relationship, while stormy, produced a son, Eric, who was born in 1991. But Catherine started having an affair with another averaging local, John Pricey Price. And the relationship with John Chillingworth ended after three years. Although he didn't know it at the time, he was very fortunate to be free of Catherine and was able to get on with his own life. However, the same could not be said of John Price. When he became entangled with Catherine, he was already the father of three children. So, so these were, were his, his kids. Okay. okay. Recently, amicably separated from his wife, Colleen. He was feeling lonely and so quickly fell for Catherine's charms. It was 1993. They were both 38 and Pricey was totally smitten by her. He was a very popular man, very likable and very generous. It was said that he would give you his last two bob. The hell does that mean? It's currency, I'm assuming. Let me see oh. here. Yeah, it's a type of currency used in the UK apparently. Hmm. When, uh, he was a top bloke. He worked at the Howick Mines in Aberdeen, making a good living and had a comfortable brick home in St. Andrew's Street, which had been left to him by his former wife. In 1995, Catherine moved in with him. The house was quite luxurious compared to her dead animal museum cottage. And at first she treated him very well, as was her usual way, doing all the things that a loving wife does. And they also supposedly had quite a vigorous sex life. Happy days but it didn't last. The honeymoon period ended and the drinking and insane violence began. Catherine was still consumed with her irrational and venomous need for revenge. And on the 29th of February, 2000, she took a knife and stabbed Pricey in the upper left chest, prompting him to take out an apprehended violence order, AVO, against her to keep her away from him and his children. But so determined she was to up the ante, she just ignored it. The same afternoon, Pricey said to his co-workers, somewhat prophetically, that if he didn't come into work the following day, it would be because Catherine had done him in. Concerned about the situation, his fellow co-workers said that he shouldn't go home, but Pricey felt that if he didn't, she would kill his children. Now that's rather interesting because it seems like in a lot of these cases where the 
partner ends up dead in domestic violence situations, they usually will say, hey, if you don't hear from me tomorrow, if I go missing, so-and-so did it. Yeah. And that's just, I, I think that's just kind of, I mean, it's sad, but that's kind of interesting the way that that seems to happen quite often. Well, I've seen posts on Facebook here recently. It was like, if I go missing, just know that I would never leave my children. Exactly. You know, like, I mean, and that's true for a lot of people. Um, if, if like, if I ever went missing, you know, personally, I would never leave my children. So I know exactly who I'd go looking for first. I think most people would. She's that person, too. Yeah, so. In the meantime, and unknown to him, Catherine had sent the children away for a sleepover at a friend's place. So when Pricey arrived home, there was no one there. After an evening watching television, he took a shower and went to bed. Catherine sneaked into his house and woke him just after 11 p.m. She must have used all her feminine wiles because they had sex, after which he fell asleep. A night of terror was about to begin. This chick must have like a magic vagina. So she snuck in and then he still proceeded to have sex with her. Mm -hmm. What the fuck was wrong with him? Like, why, why would you just got a protection order on this woman? Your children are there. She then breaks into your house. And the first thing that's like, oh, okay, let's. let's yeah, let's have, have sex. sex. Yeah, she must have had a fucking amazing ass vagina or something. Jesus Christ. I mean, look at the other guys that, you know, in her past that she did this to, you know, like she, they continued to come back to her and stay with her for whatever reason. So it must be made of gold, man, because I. She must have been able to suck some pretty damn good dick. <laughs> well, they said, you know, she could suck a golf ball through a garden hose. <laughs> So Catherine had brought her butcher's knife with her, and it was within easy reach. The first blow was struck without warning, followed by several others to his naked chest. She was now doing what she had threatened many times before. She was murdering him. In stark terror and agony, Pricey woke up and leapt out of bed, running down the hallway with Catherine in relentless pursuit, all the while stabbing continuously at her mortally wounded victim. Blood from his numerous wounds stained the bedding, carpet, and walls as he made a desperate attempt to escape. But the blade kept plunging into him. The pain must have been unbearable, and with his lungs now so badly damaged, he couldn't shout to raise the alarm. Amazingly, he clung to life, staggering to the front door and leaving a bloody handprint on the doorframe. But he couldn't make it through, and he was dragged back into the house where he collapsed. The stabbings continue, and he slid down the wall of the entrance foyer where he died. At 6 a.m. the following morning, a neighbor noticed that Pricey's white Ford Mondio sedan was still in the driveway. That's so unlike Pricey, he thought. Normally, he'd been away to work, and he was known as being very punctual, so when he didn't arrive at Bowditch and Partners, his employer sent a fellow worker around to his house to see if he was okay. The neighbor and worker noticed Pricey's work boots were still lined up at the front door, as was his custom. His custom? I don't know what custom is, but okay. Thinking that he may have overslept, they tried waking him by knocking on his bedroom window. It was then they spotted bloodstains on the floor on the front door and contacted the police. 
Sergeant Furlonger and Senior Constables, Senior Constable Maud and Matthews arrived at the St. Andrews Street property 25 minutes later at 8.10 a.m. in their separate vehicles. They tried the front and back door, finding each to be locked, and used a crowbar to gain entry via the laundry door. The police officers had decades of experience between them, but nothing could have prepared them for what they were about to witness. Led by Sergeant Furlonger, they entered the premises with their weapons drawn. There was blood everywhere and a large pool of blood near the entrance foyer. Then what was thought to be a blanket hanging in a doorway arch leading into the lounge turned out to be, on closer inspection, John Price's exterior layer of skin hanging from a meat hook. Oh my God, she skinned him, one of the officers gasped. It was a human pelt, expertly removed in one piece. Moving further into the house, they found the victim's decapitated remains on the lounge room floor near a small foyer leading to the front door. The body was raw and bloodless. Given the injuries and blood loss, that was hardly surprising. The left arm of John Price's body was draped over an empty 1.25 liter soft drink bottle and his legs were crossed. Why did she cross his legs? Why did she skin him? <laughs> I I have no idea, but why would you take the time to like pose him? Like maybe she was playing with him like she would play with her dolls and stuff like that? I don't know. Maybe. I yeah, I have no idea. This 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 woman's got some issues. So a butcher's knife was found close by. Two more knives were later found in the kitchen. As the police officers moved through the house, they caught the smell of something that had been cooking coming from the kitchen. Further extreme horrors were to be revealed. There was a large boiler pot still warm on the stove. On opening the lid, they saw John Price's skinned head along with a quantity of vegetables. After Catherine had decapitated him, she cooked parts of his body, serving him she cooked parts of his body, serving up the meat with a variety of vegetables, including baked potatoes and gravy, and three settings at the dinner table. She'd also prepared notes alongside the plates, each one having the name of one of his children written on it. Many of the surfaces were heavily bloodstained. A third piece of cooked meat, later identified to be from John Price's left buttocks, was found in the backyard. <laughs> Like, oh, this one ain't good. Let's just throw it out back. Just throw it out the, the back door. <laughs> That's so messed up. Then they heard a loud snoring sound coming from the main bedroom and looked through the door. The light switch was bloodstained, and the sleeping body of Catherine Knight was lying fully clothed on the double bed. With some difficulty, she was aroused and handcuffed. Yeah. Um, then here's a, here's a something else that is in the article that I'm going to go ahead and read as well. It says the last minutes of his life must have been a time of abject terror. New South Wales Supreme Court Justice Barry O'Keefe sentenced Knight to life in prison on November 8th of 2001. The following is an edited extract of his comments. 
The prisoner, Catherine Mary Knight, does not qualify for mercy. She engaged in cruel, vicious behavior to Mr. Price. She showed him no mercy. She has not expressed any contrition or remorse. If released, she poses a serious threat to the security of society. I'm satisfied beyond any doubt that such a murder was premeditated. I'm further satisfied in the same way that not only did she plan the murder, but she also enjoyed the horrific acts which followed in its wake as part of a ritual of death and defilement. The things which she did after the death of Mr. Price indicated, indicate cognition, volition, calm, and skill. I'm satisfied beyond any reasonable doubt that her evil actions were playing out of her resentments arising out of her rejection by Mr. Price. Her impending expulsion from Mr. Price's home, which she wanted to retain for his children. As I have said, the prisoner showed no mercy whatsoever to Mr. Price. The last minutes of his life must have been a time of abject terror for him, as they were a time of utter enjoyment for her. At no time did the prisoner express any regret for what she had done or any remorse for having done it, not even through the surrogacy of counsel. Her attitude in that regard is consistent with her general approach to the many acts of violence which she has engaged against her various partners. The only appropriate penalty for the prisoner is life imprisonment and that parole should never be considered for her. Catherine Mary Knight, you have pleaded guilty to and been convicted of the murder of John Charles Thomas Price at Aberdeen in the state of New South Wales on or about the 29th of February, 2000. In respect of that crime, I sentence you to imprisonment for life. See, if that would have happened here, they would have been in death row. Probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was our true crime episode. What are your thoughts on it? That's what it's wild. It's just wild. Like you would have thought, I don't know. I would have figured after the first few times that she, you know, tried to harm her partner that they would have done something about it, but obviously not. You would think that, but even here in the, in the States, they have cases like this where the person, like I mentioned earlier, the person does something and then they're released and they continue to be a menace to society. They continue to carry on their horrible acts. And there's so many times where things could have been prevented if we had just kept them behind bars yeah. or kept them in a psych ward. And it's just like, you. I don't know where I stand on it. Because obviously being able to put somebody in a psych ward is not okay because, you know, then you get into the whole, well, you know, just because like it used to be like, oh, geez, my wife is in a bad mood. I'm going to go put her in the crazy house because yeah. you know, she's got whatever it is sort of thing. Oh, this yeah. person's gay. Let's lock them away because there's something wrong with them sort of thing. You know, and that used to go on all the time. Yeah. And we can't, you know, it's not something that we could have today. So where, where do you draw the line at? Like, when do you say, okay, this is what we're doing to prevent future things from happening. And how do you separate that from people abusing that for their own gain? Yeah, that it, it's, it's a fine line, really. Exactly. Like, I don't have the answers. I'm glad I'm not in the position to make those answers because I, I don't know what, you know, I don't have any suggestions on what to do about it, unfortunately. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously she had some mental illness. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm curious what exactly she was diagnosed with, like, mental illness-wise. Yeah, because you would think the first time that she was put in some kind of psych ward that they would have done some kind of testing on her to see what was actually wrong or what her diagnosis would have been. But they only said it was what the, like, our our version of postpartum, basically. Um, well, apparently, um, after a quick search, it turns out that she was diagnosed by two different psychiatrists with borderline personality disorder, which is very common in serial killers. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's pretty interesting. That I mean it makes sense that she would have borderline personality disorder. But for those of you Oh go, go ahead. ahead, sorry. No, go ahead, you're fine. I was gonna say for those of you that have borderline personality disorder that are watching this, I'm not saying you can't live a normal life. I know plenty of people with it that live completely normal lives. But there is something differently wired in certain people's brains that makes them prone to violence and makes them prone to things like this. But for whatever reason, it's common to see in serial killers them being diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Uh, all I was going to say was if they would have actually taken the time to do a full psyche test on her and she would have been diagnosed with that in the very beginning, there could have been a way to possibly prevent this from even happening. Exactly. You know, but it all goes back to whether or not they actually want to do that testing on you you know what i mean like right exactly whether she didn't want to be tested or the doctors thought okay well this is what's wrong with her that's all we got to do instead of doing further testing right exactly so that's just i don't know it's sad but it is sad because it could have possibly been prevented in his life you know exactly that's wild mm, that was a doozy would, yeah, that was. Yeah. And if you stuck through it, uh, thank you. Yeah, I was just uh, about to say, for those of you that decided to stick around, we appreciate you. And, you know, hopefully it's a case that you've never heard of before because, I mean, there's so many different stories out there. Um, you know, so much, so much true crime. <laughs> what was that? Oh, I was like, what the fuck is going on with my curtain? And then I opened it and saw nothing. And then a few seconds later, a cat ran through. I was like, oh. <laughs> thought I was losing my fucking marbles here for a second. That'll do it. Shut up. So, why did you smoke this week? I actually did, too. I know you uh, did. <laughs> uh, because gave me a vape for my birthday, which by the time this comes out, would have been on Wednesday mm -hmm. um, and I had smoked for so long I took two giant ass hits off of that and I was flying pretty high awesome I'm glad and to hear that trying to work on my true crime story and I'm mm -hmm. like Ooh, I'm really high right now um, Very but nice. yeah so I wanted to try it out well good Appreciate I'm glad it. you like it it was very good it tastes very good so mm -hmm. agreed so why did you smoke this week? Um, I smoked this week because as always, work sucks. I hate my job, um, my mental health. 
Um, I went a couple weeks without seeing my daughter because we had just had some stuff come up that, you know, kind of prevented us from having our normal visitations. And um, I just want to clarify, by the way, um, because I don't want it to sound like, you know, I'm not allowed to be around my child or anything like that. Oh, hi, Katie. Um, currently, she is finishing out the school year because she's on student council and things like that. And we didn't want to disrupt her school year. So she's fin finishing out the school year with her dad because I live too far away to take her to school every day. So once school is out, she'll be coming here and then we'll be switching it. She'll be going to a school closer to me. And then she will be um, with me during the week and seeing him on the weekends. So yeah, so uh, I was pretty rough going you know, two weeks without seeing her, I was a complete wreck. Mm -hmm. So you to get me through it, you know, I smoked. So yeah, all valid reasons, all valid reasons. I get yes. that. Yes. And, uh, I think the longest I've been away from the boys is a weekend. I think, well, I take that back. The oldest has spent almost a week at his Nana's house for like spring break or Christmas break or stuff Aww. like that sometimes yeah. in the summer. Uh, but not, not a super long time. So I totally get that. I would be missing my kiddo too. It's hard. It. It's not easy. I, I will never understand the people who are like, yeah, I can't wait to get rid of my kid. And then their kids, you know, they're fine with leaving their kid for like a week, two at a time. And it doesn't bother them. They don't miss their kid. I'm like, what's wrong with you <laughs> i may say fuck them kids a lot but i love my kids and i couldn't be without them they may drive me absolutely insane but when they're not there then i miss them a lot so to be fair most of the parents that i know that are good parents quote that phrase quite often but they actually really care about their children yeah so you're good <laughs> so um, I just want to thank everyone for sticking with us here, whether you're brand new or you're a repeat watcher, listener, we appreciate you, you know, as always, make sure that you tell your friends about us, share us, um, send in your feedback, any stories you may have, you know, we would be more than happy to feature them on the next episode, even if it doesn't go along with the topic that we are discussing. We still want your feedback, your stories, whatever you got, send it to us. Mm -hmm. um, raunchy, innocent. I don't care. I want to hear it all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're here. We're here for all of it. Yes, exactly. Also, be sure to catch us out on Anchor, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, YouTube. Google, Google Podcast. Not Apple Go Podcast. Oh, sorry. Google Podcast, not Apple Podcast. I said it right the first time. But anyway, so yeah, we will check you guys out next week and we love you. All right. Till then. Bye. Bye.